0: Snuff Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about the potential for do 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 an arms race. Another one uh, between the Cold War states, by the way, America, Russia.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Why? What is going on? How could this
1: even be a thing? Still. Well, Donald Trump um, spoke recently at a rally. Uh, whereby he said he would pull America out of what's called the Intermediate Nuclear Force Agreement. So you have different types of nuclear weapons. You have tactical nuclear weapons, they are short-range ones. Um, You have the intermediate ones, which are designed to travel between 300 and 3,400 miles. So in other words, just to get across Europe right? So they're the intermediate ones. And then you have the really long-range ones, which are called strategic missiles, which will go from one continent to another. Now, we have a number of disarmament or arms control agreements. So disarmament means you actually get rid of weapons. Arms control is that you limit the rate at which the arms race is, is moving ahead. The significance of the intermediate nuclear force missiles and the agreement that was signed between Reagan and Gorbachev 30 years ago, is that this is an actual nuclear disarmament treaty. It required the Americans and the Russians to get rid of a particular category of nuclear weapons. Now, for people of a certain vintage, like myself, (laughs) who've been involved with the nuclear issue for decades, it's worth bearing in mind that the speculation in the early 1980s was that we were going to have a limited nuclear war, which would be fought with these intermediate nuclear forces. The theory is that you would have a surprise attack on the Soviet Union, which would destroy the Soviet Union, destroy about a third of Europe, and means that the United States would be broadly left untouched. So in 1982, for example, when I was in the United States, there was a report from the US Postal Service explaining how they would continue to operate in the event of a limited nuclear war. So from 1979 onwards, which is when the missiles were first deployed, you get the revival of what's called the peace movement, the anti-nuclear movement. So it begins from 1979, and it's really much focused on these intermediate nuclear force weapons, ones that can travel across Europe. So we then end up with an, uh, an anti-nuclear movement. Uh, eventually Reagan and Gorbachev sign this 1987 agreement. It's a remarkable development. Remember in 1983, President Reagan had referred to the Soviet Union as the evil empire, promising never to do any deals with the Soviet Union. President Gorbachev comes to power in 1985, realises the arms race is bankrupting Russia and the United States, says, all right, we surrender. Let's do a deal. So we then end up with this remarkable treaty, the 1987 Intermediate Nuclear Force Agreement, which got rid of these short-range missiles. Indeed, I carry around with me a piece of that missile. They're now made into souvenirs for those of us involved in the nuclear ah. struggles, a little, like, nice little coin. Um, I used to carry it with me going through airport security, but then we used to ring every bell in the building. Not so say. I then um, stopped doing it because they would say, what's in your pocket? And I said, it's a bit of a nuclear missile. So you can't say that now since, uh, like since okay. the war on terrorism. But big it's a breaker. It's a souvenir of this era and the way in which we averted World War Three. World War III was scheduled to take place towards the end of the 1980s. Um, and that was stopped by that intermediate nuclear force agreement. Now, Trump, in an election rally recently, has said he's going to scrap the treaty. came right out of the blue. Nobody saw this coming, right? Those of us who commenting on nuclear issues could not believe what the President said. So the British Prime Minister has expressed concern, the German leader, uh, Angela Merkel. Why would pres- he
0: say something like that? <gasps> What's your own analysis?
1: My re- I think one, is that he's trying? This is in the lead up to the November midterm elections, and he's wanting to prove the Democrats wrong that he is in a, a alliance with Putin. Now, I think there is a link between Russia and, and Trump, but it's not the one that the Democrats keep talking about, mm. which is that the, the Russians gave the assistance to to Trump in 2016. That's, it's, that's No, it's a
0: financial not, one, is it for his hotels
1: and stuff? That's right. Yeah. So. Trump is trying to distance himself. So this way, being able to say, I'm standing up to the Russians. um, So we're going to get ready for another nuclear arms race against the Russians. Don't accuse me of being soft on Russia. I'm I'm a hardliner. That's one reason. A second reason is that the United States is a military-industrial complex. So there are a lot of people who make money out of weapons. And so they are a constant factor in all politics. President Eisenhower, when he left office in 1961, warned about the military-industrial complex. And so what we're seeing, therefore, is this perpetual military-industrial complex. The armed lobbyists are the most powerful lobby group in Washington, D.C. So they're a constant issue. So they now see an opportunity at this time to get involved and be able to say, look, we need a new generation of nuclear weapons. Uh, And so for those of us who are concerned about reducing the number of nuclear weapons in the world, um, I mean, you know, look, Trump is negotiating with North Korea over a nuclear deal. Why would the North Koreans believe the Americans are going to honour it if they, if they break a, a longstanding disarmament deal with Russia?
0: But that's why Trump doesn't seem to really think out what he says. He just sort of comes up with a planned decoy as a decoy for whatever purpose yeah. and then doesn't think through the longer term. Exactly. That surely will hurt him at some stage whether it be these midterms or <laughs> further on down the track.
1: Hasn't heard him yet, but yes, you're right. I think that that's the case. Yeah, yeah
0: you know, you kind of shoot from the hip. So then how have the rea- the
1: Russians reacted to all of this? Well, the Russians have clearly, very, along with everybody else, are very concerned about what this actually means now. The Russians certainly are modernising their nuclear weapons, but they, they haven't actually violated the Intermediate Nuclear Force Agreement. Um, Trump has alleged they have, but hasn't provided any evidence. Um, and, of course, in a post-factual world, you don't need evidence. You just need assertions, and the media are running with that. So he's gaslighting us on this issue. Um, So the Russians have obviously reacted very angrily, and don't forget the Russians have got their own military-industrial complex. So Russia has an economy the size of Canada. It really cannot afford a nuclear arms race, which is another reason why Trump is behaving in this way, because Ronald Reagan increased military expenditure... Uh, damage the I think the American economy, but nonetheless it increased the military expenditure. and so um, maybe Trump is taking something out of the the rule book and so what he's trying to do is to say, well, Reagan forced the Russians to back down. I will do it. I'm also going to do it against China. Remember China is the new factor in this time round. Um, and so that may be another reason why Trump has behaved in the way that he has.
0: And now I heard some analysis, I'm trying to think of where it was particularly, just about how, it was on radio, about how the um, Ameri- they might be doing this to take them on and get them to overspend and to ruin their economy that's a right. little. Yeah, yeah, be- that, that, because America can afford to outspend them.
1: Well, that's a that's a big issue. My second doctorate actually looked at the impact of military expenditure. I don't think the Americans can afford to outspend the Russians. Certainly the Russians can't afford to spend money. They're in a terrible state. As I say, it's an economy the size of Canada's. Um, We now, since uh, the end of the Cold War, we've been able to get access to the Russian accounts. Previously, they were top secret. And so we can see that even during the Cold War, the Russian economy was equivalent to somewhere between Canada and Australia. So, it's okay, it's a major economy, but it can't, certainly can't take on the United States. But within the United States, they're going deeper and deeper into debt. Remember, empires destroy themselves. Empires die from suicide, not from murder. They don't get destroyed from outside. They lose the capacity to run an empire. And the problem for the United States is they're just getting deeper and deeper into debt. So it's questionable whether the Americans themselves can continue to afford such a high rate of military expenditure. But in the meantime, of course, it gives jobs to people. And for a brief period at the end of the uh, Cold War, we actually had a reduction of military expenditure. This was the so-called peace dividend. But that's all now gone, and Trump is back to increasing it. Remember, this is not what Trump was promising us in 2016. He didn't say anything about reducing military expenditure because he was always talking about making America great again. But the implication was that he was not going to go ahead with a dramatic increase in military expenditure. The Americans can't afford it. A lot of the little communities that provide the soldiers are suffering from combat fatigue. You know, they've lost so many of their own people. Uh, they've got people who are walking wounded. You look at the murders, the suicides that are committed in, in America. A lot of them are done through veterans who do not get good treatment from their Department of Veterans Affairs. There's a sense of combat fatigue. And Trump is now trying to um, militarise America still further.
0: This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking about a potential... Not arms race. It's not an arms race. It's like the opposite, isn't it? What no, is it, it is a
1: nuclear arms race. It is nuclear a race. nuclear arms race. It's a nuclear um, arms race because Trump has is, is announced that he's pulling out of this nuclear disarmament deal. Um, and, of course, it's interesting because since the days of Richard Nixon, so you've got to have a good memory for this. I'm going back to 1972, right? So uh, uh, Henry Kissinger, Richard Nixon negotiated the first big nuclear arms deals. There are earlier ones called, like, the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty, which is 50 years old. That's a, a separate sort of issue. But in terms of the actual deals between the United States and Russia, the old Soviet Union, you've got one which limits long range missiles, what are called the strategic missiles. So they were the Strategic Arms Limitation Talks. So we call them SALT, right? Under Barack Obama, it was reaffirmed it's called New SALT. Right, so that limits the number of these long-range missiles that will go directly from the United States into the Soviet Union, Soviet Union or Russia today, into the United States. Um, That treaty is still in existence, but, of course, we're worrying whether or not Trump will try to pull out of that one as well. Then another important treaty is this intermediate nuclear force one, which Trump has said he will pull out of. That's 30 years old. That goes back to the days of Reagan and Gorbachev. And there's another agreement which limits what are called anti-ballistic missiles. And this, again, is decades old. So this is a, a treaty which limits the number of uh, missile installations you can have to shoot down incoming missiles. That's why it's called ABM, Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. Um, whether the science actually works, of course, is another matter. You know, It's a bit like you're shooting at me and my then having to uh, shoot the bullet as it heads towards me. So that that's the that's the ballistic missile defense system. And uh, George Bush Jr. pulled out of that one. So we're, we're looking actually at the erosion of the nuclear disarmament nuclear arms control regime. So the world is actually getting more and more dangerous. So the bulletin of atomic scientists which has moved, you know, they've, they they had this uh, doomsday clock, they're going to be moving that arm, still closer to midnight.
0: So who has the money slash inclination at the moment, um, which countries, to spend money on arms?
1: Well, it, it's going to be, obviously, America is setting the example. Russia will be doing so, and China, of course, is also now doing so. So China sees itself as the emerging great power, and so they're not necessarily going into big long-range missiles, nuclear, but they are certainly developing their conventional forces. Um, So you've really got now got a three-way struggle, which we didn't have in the days of Nixon and and Henry Kissinger. So the Chinese are also manoeuvring. So there's certainly an increase in conventional expenditure, but again, from a very low base. The Americans outspend the next 20 countries combined. So they're spending more America... Then Britain, France, China, all the rest of it. In fact, most of the countries that they outspent are actually American allies. So America is never going to be attacked by Britain or France or now Germany. Um, so they're spending a huge sum of money.
0: So off the back of this, this is a different issue, but slightly aligned, I, well, it's very aligned, but military. So obviously China, huge military. North Korea, huge military. America still comparative, big military or not really? Oh, absolutely,
1: really? absolutely. And in comparative terms, North Korea has a large standing army and, of course, it's developing nuclear weapons and we've discussed that. China is coming off a very low base and a lot of their soldiers are actually involved in things like planting trees. What? So they, <laughs> so they on a visit to China, I was shown how they were using soldiers to plant trees. They've got a problem, you know, with the erosion of topsoil.
0: In China? In
1: China. I was, this is really a right <laughs> off at a tangent. <laughs> yes. I was with the Vice President of Taiwan. Of course you were. Net Liu, yeah. Uh, first uh, senior woman elected in Chinese history in 5,000 years. Chinese aren't rushing female politicians. I bet. Um, and she pointed up at the sky and there was a bit of China moving across to the United States. What? Yeah, it's, it's a yellow dust loan. Which is being blown off China topsoil, which they need for cultivation, being blown towards Alaska and Canada. So planting trees is very important in China because it means that you're keeping the soil on the ground and not having it blown across the, the North and Pacific.
0: So that's what their their military are doing. So they have
1: a lot of military, but they're also involved in a lot of other exercises. Um, so you've got to be very careful when you try to compare like with like. Now, of course, in the case of the United States, the military are now allowed to be involved in civil unrest. After the American Civil War, they were banned from being involved because of the you know the problem of the Confederacy. What so do was... you mean
0: by civil unrest? Do you mean... Like partaking in uh, demonstrations, for example? Exactly.
1: And under Barack Obama, with this war on terror, he agreed that the military can be called out and used on the streets. So the military in the United States can be used domestically to quell dissent as well as fighting wars overseas. The problem is they're not doing very well fighting wars overseas. There are a lot of people who are saying, you know, what's the point of spending so much money if we can't win wars? This is a problem for the United States. The Americans have not had a dramatic military victory since George Bush Sr. and the liberation of Kuwait, and that was in 1991. Interesting.
0: So, okay, so we're looking at big militaries and military growth. Yeah. China, North Korea,
1: America. What other countries? No. Well, it's interesting that Western Europe are ones that are trying to restrain their military expenditure because they've got to have money at home for other matters. And, of course... Actually using a percentage, you know, like 2%, to use Trump's phrase, if you use the 2% figure, you're measuring an input, not an output, let alone an outcome. So, for example, if you're manufacturing, say, automobiles, you don't measure your success by the amount of money you spend building each car. You measure your success by how many cars you actually sell, right? But with military expenditure, you're simply measuring what you're spending. You're not actually assessing how effective that is. Mm. So it's it's a blank check. And so America is is spending lots of money but got very little to show for it.
0: And so when we've got these weapons being developed then in these countries, where are they testing them? I mean, we know about North Korea testing them inside a mountain facility. Yeah. Uh, we remember, a lot of us would remember the French dropping their <laughs> nuclear <laughs> bombs in the South, in South, the South Pacific, Pacific Ocean yeah. caused outrage. Yeah. Um, where,
1: where, where is this going on, Keith? Well, the, the testing is done by what's called benchtop testing. In other words, they no longer conduct nuclear tests. That'll be the next big worry because we do have a treaty on banning nuclear tests. Will we end up with the Americans pulling out of that as well? That's the worry. And then we go back to then the radiation going into the atmosphere. Don't forget that we used to test British nuclear weapons in Australia. And then we ended up with this radioactive cloud that went from South Australia across to Queensland and, you know, affected the health of a number of people. So we, we got out of testing weapons in the atmosphere. In Australia, the same in the United States, there's a very famous allegation made about the making of a movie on a nuclear test site in the United States and and a number of the people involved, including John Wayne, died of lung cancer. So that's how we, we stopped the testing in the atmosphere. That was back in the days of John Kennedy. You've got to have a long memory when talking about nuclear treaties. So we're back to the, the nuclear test ban treaty and then we had another treaty which stopped underground nuclear testing. So it means that if you're going to do a test at the moment, you do it on a benchtop you do it as per some sort of theoretical calculation you do not carry out a nuclear test this is why we're so angry about North Korea because they shouldn't be testing nuclear weapons they're putting radioactivity into the atmosphere etc look i don't
0: really think that kim jong un cares overly about his people he'd be like oh no.
1: they can suck it up exactly <laughs> it that's exactly it but the worry that we've got is with president trump's announcement will we go back to this era of nuclear weapons, nuclear arms races? Are we going to put the clocks back to beyond the era of Richard Nixon?
0: And the way that Trump, you know, views something like climate change, for example, he don't, I'm not sure he's really thinking about the future of the of the
1: earth. No. Mm. It's very worrying indeed.
0: Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Live Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. listener